Hello, welcome to the Doing CX Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, devoted to helping leaders like you intentionally increase brand loyalty and cultivate better relationships by doing customer experience right. Not talking or thinking about it, but really taking action and doing experience management the right way. This show is about guided steps to achieve better human and business outcomes, which has nothing to do with competing on price. This season of shows digs deep into new research and case studies reviewed with highly acclaimed authors and experts. Plus, you'll hear my insights as a practitioner working with various sectors and organizations. Besides business, you'll also hear personal stories and invaluable lessons to fuel your personal growth as we bring our whole self to work. Please share this podcast with others who can benefit and subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com for updates and helpful resources to advance your business and career. There's a lot of conversations about generative AI particularly tools like ChatGPT that are enabling businesses to enhance results, reduce costs, drive brand loyalty, while maintaining that essential human touch in customer experience. But how? Who is using the cutting edge technology in the right ways? And what benefits are they gaining to achieve objectives? That's what you're going to learn on this episode of Doing CX Right. I'm focusing on these questions with a brilliant guest, Connor Grennan, who's the Dean of MBA and graduate students at NYU Stern School of Business and the visionary behind generative AI program there. You'll hear about company case studies, inspiring success stories, and the transformative journey of generative AI. By the end of this episode, you'll be armed with knowledge and motivation to begin or enhance your AI journey to boost your career and company results. There's so much to unpack, and I'm so excited that you are here with me today. Hello, Connor Grennan. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I've been reading so much of your content and excited for my audience to learn from you today. So let's start by saying, who are you? What do you do for a living? Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me. So my name is Connor Grennan. I am the Dean of MBA students at NYU Stern School of Business. So uh, I've been doing that for uh, almost a decade now. I got my MBA from Stern. So it's a place that uh, is very close to my heart. Uh, and I am also the uh, head of and the creator of Generative AI at Stern, which is an initiative that uh, teaches our students and administrators and faculty how to use Generative AI. And so I've been doing that uh, since the beginning of the year as well. Uh, so that's, that's sort of my day job. So when did technology become such a passion of yours? Yeah, it's a good question because it's not my background, right? It's uh, It actually started really with the advent of ChatGPT, which came out in you know late November of last year. And the reason that that happened was because my wife uh, is at McKinsey & Company, the consulting firm, and she does uh, AI there. She does responsible and ethical AI. She's a former lawyer, and she's been doing responsible AI mm. 
uh, for uh, for really a couple of years before you know ChatGPT came out and ChatGPT uh, came out and she was like, "Hey, have you seen this? This is going to be pretty huge." And so I got on there and started seeing right away how uh, huge and powerful and critical and and really uh, just disruptive this would be. And so I dove in, taking a completely non tech approach. And we can get into this, but because it's a non tech issue. And, uh, and so even sort of just coming from a more creative background, which is where I come from, I, you know, had to dive in. And then I realized I had to share that with our, uh, with our school as well. Mm. Fun fact is you wrote a book that has nothing to do with technology. <laughs> tell, tell us about it. And what's the biggest lesson from writing that book for you? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, so I I wrote a memoir uh, that uh, did did well, and uh, that was called Little Princes, and it's uh, one man's promise to uh, bring home the lost children of Nepal. I always forget the title, but that's really uh, a memoir that sort of you know launched a whole different career for me in in writing. Uh, I was actually I actually wrote it when I was getting my MBA at Stern, so it sort of put me on a different path. Instead of going into financial services, I ended up going into writing, which was very strange for an MBA student, I think. But that book was really about my time uh, in Nepal, starting a, a nonprofit, uh, opening a, a children's home to rescue trafficked children, and mm. then ultimately going out and uh, searching the mountains for their uh, the families of these lost trafficked children. This was all during the war, civil war in Nepal. Uh, and I actually met my wife, who I referenced earlier, Liz. I met her uh, out in Nepal as well when she was volunteering. So it became like this just big story. So uh, that was awesome, really, because it helped you know provide for our work in Nepal, which is ongoing. But uh, but it was also just an amazing opportunity to sort of like really think about your story and the decisions you make and everything else. And that sort of you know again kind of like launched this sort of totally separate career for me. Oh, I have so much to say. We could spend the whole hour, half hour on this topic alone, but I want to take home the fact that you had to be in point A for point B and C of your life to happen and including your wife and your family and all that. So it, it shines hope and light that when you do what you love, everything works out and better. Yeah. Yeah, I think you just have to kind of keep on going for it. Now, sometimes what you love doesn't pay anything, but uh, even when that happens, uh, what I you know teach our students and I sort of I do coaching as well. And what I show people is do that on the side, like you know, I mean, earn your money. You have to earn money. You have to survive. So have your day job, but always make sure that you're kind of like driving toward your passion and actually building it in a systemic way. I think of it like almost like a parallel resume, you know, and that's that means giving up things, giving up kind of going out and watching TV and scrolling uh, social media, things like that. But if you're serious about it, then you can do that, building up almost this kind of parallel career uh, so that when you have that, that strong enough, when it really has a foundation under it, that's the time where you can move and actually make your passion all, and, your, and your job the same thing. It takes, it takes some time and it takes real commitment, but uh, you can do it. Oh, you're speaking my language because doing CX Right started many, many years ago before I even knew what it would be and why I would want it. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And here I am and it's 
it's my baby and it's my love and I'm maturing it. And so you're so right. People listening, create that passion project, side hustle before you even know why. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Well, let's get into doing CX right. This isn't about side hustles today, <laughs> but doing CX right, doing customer experience right. What does that mean to you, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I think you can apply it really across every industry and discipline and everything else. I mean, everybody has customers in whatever they're doing, you know, clients, customers, however you want to define it. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, you know, being in a business school for uh, 10 years, watching sort of like who's really doing it right and what they're thinking of is that the first thing they really do is put themselves in the seat and eyes and mindset of the people they are trying to convince something of, right? I mean, CX is really, what are you convincing somebody of? Because you already know that what you're doing is great. You already know that you have a great product, all that, et cetera, et cetera. The challenge is that when we do something so well and we're so invested in it, we want to share that with people. And so what we end up doing, I think, a lot is sharing what we want to share, sharing the things that we think are important to us, sharing the things that took so much effort and insight and everything else. And I think we forget that the people who we're trying to you know, convince or persuade or uh, illuminate or anything like that, they don't actually care what went into this. You know, in the same way, sort of, if you've started this company uh, that is, you know, a successful company, your customers aren't going to care about your 10 failed businesses before that. There's no reason to tell that whole story. So I think the people that I see doing it right, especially in a business school uh, setting, are the people who just take a step back and think, you know, let me put myself in the seat, in the audience seat, and hear what is it that this person is going to say? And so it's the so for me, doing CX right is really the difference between deciding what you really want to share and then editing yourself and making sure you're sharing what people will actually come uh, you know, repeatedly back to you to, to hear and to get from you. So you're talking about understanding people's needs. Yeah, and exactly. how does generative AI help with that? Does it help with that? It does. So generative AI and just, you know, for people that might not be as familiar, when we talk about something like, you know, ChatGPT, which you probably heard about, that's generative AI. It's AI that, you know, can essentially generate text. Generative AI also refers to uh, image generation. So when you see all these AI, you know, deep fake, et cetera, et cetera, that's also generative AI. So you know, a lot of people have not even, you know, tried ChatGPT or really don't use it all the time. And I totally understand why, but I'm using it many, many times a day. And, you know, maybe what it's best at is exactly what we're talking about here, which is understanding a client base or an audience or something like that. I'll give you an example. So one of the big things I do is I train corporations and companies on how to use this because getting to know generative AI and getting to understand it, it's not a technical trans it's not a tech transformation it's a behavioral transformation it's a change management because it's so easy to use that you don't need any skill set you just need to be able to talk like a human so it's actually just changing your behavior to actually use it and i think the big like aha moments the big dopamine hitting your brain moments are those moments you know especially in things like customer service customer experience etc 
when you see just how powerful that is. And so one of the, you know, actually I should say a lot of my favorite use cases are just around that. So again, coming back to the example I was about to give, I'd be working with a company like a, you know, a private equity firm and, you know, doing healthcare or something like that. And they are, you know, pushing value and service, you know, sort of value-based service to, you know, some of the companies they're working with. So understanding what that is, it just means that instead of like a fee-for-service, you're essentially taking kind of a holistic approach to the patient. It's a little bit of a complicated topic and subject. And when something's a little bit complicated, it's even more complicated to understand who your audience is because your audience is going to be, you know, vast and, you know, different and wide. And so what this thing is amazing at is you say, well, help to, you know, explain this service like value-based care to number one, a hospital executive, number two, an insurance executive, and number three, a patient. Because if you think about it, all those three groups want very different things out of their hospital experience. A hospital executive clearly wants, you know, of course, to take good care of patients, but ultimately they're responsible for profit and loss. And insurance wants, you know, to minimize risk and a patient just wants good, you know, good care taken of them essentially. And what ChatGPT is absolutely, and other large language models like that are, is absolutely phenomenal at, is understanding what humans are like and how humans stand, sound. So you can say, hey, create a different pitch for me for all these different clients. And you just name all the different demographics and will tailor completely what you are trying to say to make it as appealing to that person as possible. It will write the pitch out for you. You can create infinite focus groups of people because it mimics people. You can define the demographic. You can define the, you know, age, race, creed, creed, anything, uh, you know, geography of the people. And it just understands that so, so well that you essentially have at the palm of your hand a ton of focus groups and also a tool that will help you to communicate with those very different types of groups. Yeah. I want to add on that in the CX world, we do a lot of persona development and journey Mm -hmm. mapping. And that's a great use case when you're defining your personas, your target audience, the segments, their demographics, what they like, what they feel. It's a great place to help fill in the blanks, yet you have to validate it with real customers. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is a great you know, starting off point. I don't think anything really is a substitute for talking to real people, but it's phenomenal if you can, you know, do your, you know, just in terms of saving time and everything else, if you can do this, you know, a hundred times with ChatGPT with something that's really going to mimic human behavior so closely that it's really impossible to tell it from a human, that's how powerful this thing is. That will just really prepare you for when you're really doing the deep investment of talking to actual customers. You'll do, you'll have done, uh, you know, a lot of the groundwork leading up to that. Yes, but listeners, don't skip the customer. You can't. The whole point is the the whole point is the customer. You're totally right. I mean, this is the thing. Like this, kind of like gets you ready for it. But you know, you're at your own risk. Would you ever then take something out without actually talking to humans? The whole point of tools like this is that it lays groundwork for you to understand better when you're going to walk into a room. What is the more likely thing? So you're not starting at zero anymore. You're really sort of like have a leg up. But if you don't talk to customers, if you don't sort of understand what actual real people want and hear that from them, you're just going to be way, way behind. It's, there's no substitute for it. No. However, the reality is, and in places I've worked before, 
they take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Time. There's product development. We've got to get it out the door. We've got this deadline. Mm-hmm. So they sacrifice quality and speed, right? And and so that's why I joke and say, not jokingly, don't skip yeah, that agreed. step. Agreed. What have you seen with generative AI and customer service training, education, simulated models? What do you see as the potential or what companies are doing well to help train people, especially your frontline that are in real time having to deal with customers and irate customers? And how do you train? Thoughts yeah, on that? It's, it's a great training model because really all you have to do is tell it to train you. I mean, it's almost like it requires a minimal effort in telling it what to do. And then you get a tremendous output in helping it train your people. For example, you could say, uh, you know, hey, you know, ChatGPT, you know, act like, uh, you know, a really irritated customer that didn't get what they want, et cetera, et cetera. And then you as the, you know, human get to rehearse and practice that. It happens with difficult conversations, everything else. But ChatGPT is phenomenal, again, at mimicking this thing. And you can, you know, amp up, you can say, okay, be even angrier or be even more frustrated or now get rude or whatever. And sort of, and then, Afterwards, the amazing thing is you can take that whole transcript when you're when you're finished, whenever you're finished, say, okay, stop. Now evaluate me. Where did I go wrong? What could I have said better? Because this is exactly what generative AI and things like ChatGPT are so, so good at. They're so good at understanding human behavior. It's it's incredible at it. And so it will tell you, like, listen, when you said that, that might have come across as this. Or listen, you were talking to uh, you know, a senior woman, you know, like in that case, this might have been a better approach. Or if you were talking to a first generation person, this may have been another way to relate to, them. but it will actually not grade you in any harsh way, but just sort of say like, hey, okay, so here's how I would, you know, ChatGPT would have improved very specific elements of what you said, having just gone through a long conversation with this, you know, this uh, made up uh, character and irate kind of customer or somebody else. So to highlight what you said, there's really a win-win for the company that saves costs in training, Mm -hmm. saves time because you're, from the time you onboard someone and train them and then they get on the phone or go in person with a customer, that, that time and that practice shortens and the immediate feedback. Yeah. Tremendously. And it's also just, it's, you know, it's hard to practice those conversations. You don't really have an opportunity because, you know, generally you'll be practicing it maybe with a colleague at best. But even then, it's hard because you know that colleague or that colleague isn't going to be able to come up with a lot of different things. Or you can't tell the colleague, okay, now get angry or get less angry, like with such detail. And what this does is it just, again, there's no tech to learn here. You just open it up and, and tell it to do that. There's no priming or prepping or anything. You just tell it to do that. That's the thing. There's no barrier to entry here. But what it does is it really prepares your people and you better for interacting with people, especially in those tough and difficult conversations. So you've got the company benefit, costs especially, and time savings. But then you also have your human beings, your agents, customer service agents, and your frontline staff who now build confidence to be able to handle those customers. So there's so much win-win if you're using the AI correctly. It It is. I mean, there's simply no replacement for 
just practicing something. It's that's just how it is. You can't kind of think through it. You can't imagine how it will be. You have to actually do it. If you if you want to be successful, if it's important to you, if it that's not important to you, then okay, don't practice. But if but if being good at what you do is important, then you have to practice, and this allows you to practice. All that you can wake up at two o'clock in the morning and say, "Hey, let's do this again." They'd be like, "Sure, great." You know, like there's it doesn't it never runs out of energy. And it's always accessible, and that's a really amazing way to access it. So, if we just said clearly that there's the benefits to the company in adopting the technology and for your human beings who are delivering customer excellence then why is there resistance why are leaders not investing given the obvious benefit yeah so i have a theory on this <laughs> and and it's because i think that people are treating this like a tech transformation and not like a change management and behavioral transformation. And so the and my theory around this is that it's very hard to do this because the way our brain sees this. I'll just kind of give you an example. I was uh you know training leaders on this uh on how to use this tool and you know when you're working with people for an hour they'll see the benefits they're like this is amazing and then I would go back, you know, a week later and find they weren't really uh using it and the reason is because you're Brain doesn't really understand this. With ChatGPT, it's very unusual because with every other tech that's come along, if you think about, uh, you know, Netflix and Spotify and you know, just Dropbox and these big techs that have kind of gotten to a million users very, very quickly, you know, and your brain knows what it's replacing in each case. So you know, oh, I'm not going to go to the video store anymore, and now I'm going to use Netflix, yeah. or oh, I'm not going to use this file system anymore, I'm going to use Dropbox. ChatGPT doesn't actually replace anything. And so it makes it much harder for people to understand, well, how do we use this in our firm? Because the problem is that every other artificial intelligence is always packaged up. There's a great user interface to it, but there's no real user interface for things like ChatGPT. It's a, it's a solution without a problem. It, it, you can, it can be applied anywhere, which means that the use cases are pretty much infinite, which means it's very hard to teach this which means the brain sort of like resists going all in on it because people aren't totally sure how to use it when because it can actually augment everything across your whole organization. So that's that's when I train companies on I train them on sort of like a framework that teaches how to use this in the flow of work rather than teaching the tool and that comes from yeah. my you know research and everything else but it's it's a fascinating question. So tell us a couple tips how how do you change management? How do you get that adoption where we talked about the example of use the AI to train your people and call scripts before they get on the phone in real time? Like how? What do you suggest to people? Yeah, it's tricky because it's a little backwards, right? So usually a tool comes in and people adapt to the tool. In this case, it's much different. It means that the tool comes in and has to adapt to what you do. And so I, you know, I write about this a lot on LinkedIn, but, uh, you know, the, the, the idea is that when you think about your job, your job is not a, like one big monolithic job. Your job is a series of tasks that you do throughout the day. And so what I encourage folks to do is to break those tasks down, understand what those tasks are, and then throw ChatGPT at every single one of those tasks and mm -hmm. see what happens. Now, some you'll get a great answer right away. Some you'll get kind of a horrible answer right away. But in, even in the horrible answers, what I would say is, if you were giving that job to an intern or something like that, you wouldn't just fire the intern after an hour. You know, you'd give the intern examples and you'd work with it and you'd say, actually, I mean more of that. 
that's how you have to approach ChatGPT. You have to approach it by teaching it and by showing it exactly what you're trying to do. And then it's outstanding at it. I mean, this is an incredibly powerful tool. So I really encourage people not to worry about like what the tool does, not to worry about use cases they read about, but really more importantly, to think about what they do on a daily basis and break their job down into tasks and then approach ChatGPT with that task in hand. I know that people listening want to use it more, adopt it at work to save time, to save costs, to save so much. Now, they need the data to prove it to their C-suite. They need to, I love pilot programs, right? Mm -hmm. So that's been my way of success of selling in these concepts. What have you seen? What could someone look at? What resources or case studies are out there that they might be able to use to go to their boss and say, look, here's some data on why generative AI, we should invest in it or use it or the training with it. Yeah, I mean, there are some studies out there. It's it's still relatively early, so there aren't maybe as, maybe as many as we'd like. It's sort of somewhat more anecdotal or survey. But mm-hmm. BCG, Boston Consulting Group, did a really wonderful uh, thing. And usually people find this through Ethan Malik, who's this incredible professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and they did something where they took 7% of their workforce and really asked them to use generative AI, ChatGPT, to do this work. And the results were extraordinary. Mm. I'd, I'll look that up and try to find it for the show notes because I think that that's very helpful to know kind of the problem and solution and impact that it solved. Mm-hmm. As AI grows, do you see the human role changing? What do you forecast, predict the future that's coming? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things will happen. I mean, obviously a lot of jobs are going to change, uh, not from one day to the next, but really change. And so I encourage people to stay on top of this. But I think the human role is going to be more and more sought after, if that makes sense. I think that people really seek out authenticity. And when you're thinking mm-hmm. about you know, customer experience and everything else, there's a wild difference between talking to an automated system, no matter how great that automated system is. And actually having somebody, you can feel your blood pressure lower (laughs) when you're calling an airline and somebody picks up the phone. You're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be somebody that's actually going to help me. Again, no matter how great the AI system is, I think people are just going to, in this world of uh, deep fakes and generated content and everything, really going to yearn for that. In the same way we started yearning for you know, organic vegetables. And we sort of, it's almost like sort of like a backward uh, way in, in, in time to sort of go back and find real authentic stuff for that experience. So I think that, you know, we're not going to lose that human element to it. We just have to understand which tasks we can offboard. So doctors are, healthcare is a great example. You know, I mean, all the note taking, all the, uh, all the sort of like mm-hmm. written requirement stuff, that is starting to be taken off doctors so doctors can actually be better doctors to their patients, but you don't lose that element. That's in fact the most important element of it all. So true. I also would say like you as a writer, I see a lot of content out there and I'm creating my own content and it's starting to become a pet peeve for me where I see words that I know are chat GPT. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, You've got to marry your own personality and words. If that doesn't sound like you, don't use it. (laughs) And it's becoming a pet peeve. Like there's just certain words I could read right from the beginning and saying, oh, you didn't write that. 
I know. Same. Yeah, they love ChatGPT loves jargon. It loves to unleash the power of things and harness the power of things. <laughs> it just like loves all that stuff. And you know, take something what I in fact what I like to do is I take something, I write something first, but I like to write and then I asked ChatGPT, I'm like, hey, give me comments on that. Don't change it wholesale because otherwise it won't sound like me. But I'm like, you know, give it comments. And so whatever you're good at, don't ask ChatGPT to do that. Ask ChatGPT to edit or refine or help or guide or something like that on that. But, but the more you can start with your own product, the more it's going to sound like you. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, as we come to the end here, some rapid fire questions. Uh, leadership. What is the best leadership advice you've received or given and that you also impart with your students? Yeah, I think the best is, and I learned this when I was pretty young, you know, kind of a young, uh, like 21-year-old or something working in a new job. But when a leader actually really just turns to you and actually hears you out, it's not going to take more than a couple of minutes. It makes such a huge impact on the morale and the connection of that younger person. And again, it doesn't take very long, but the impact of it is incredible. Again, even if you're not really going to take the advice of that person or whatever, it's just those moments which are really profoundly uh, impactful for people. And when we, you know, I think MBA students for sure, you know, learn all the hard skills and all the you know, statistics and finance and everything else. But, but we really focus a lot more at Stern uh, these days on the soft skills and how to lead and how to make those connections, because that's the thing that's going to allow you to keep the best people and get the best product out of those people. Well, also, I imagine they're learning when you said the magic word of connection. Now they have to marry connection with technology like never before and the humanness. Yeah. And, oh, I'd love to sit in that class. It's <laughs> huge these days. Yeah, I agree. And if there was one takeaway that you want leaders to heat to remember from this conversation, what would that be? Yeah, I would say, you know, get started on uh, generative AI, but in a really practical way. I know people say, you just have to practice on it and experiment on it. I don't find that overly helpful because people will still say like, well, how? Where do we begin? I would say again, take, you know, start some kind of small pilot project and here's how you would do it. Break down the tasks of a job apply ChatGPT to those tasks, see what works well, see what uh, works less well, try it in two different ways. Try with starting with ChatGPT and then try starting with uh, your product. And when it doesn't do well, give it some time, try giving it some examples and see where it does well and where it doesn't do well because you're going to be able to ultimately uh, take some of the more mundane work off your best people and allow them to really shine for you know all the reasons you, you hired them in the first place. Yes, and... I would say, get feedback, lean on, lean in to the people you work with and the people you serve and mm -hmm. validate, does this make sense? Is this meeting your needs? Yeah. What's confusing and, and the power of both? A hundred percent. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, people need to sort of see this as a, as a partner and how important they're, you know, this is going to be something to help people with burnout, to help you know people connect with their customers better. It's just going to do so much, but you just have to sort of you know decide to get started on it. Yes. And last question, if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Connor? 
You know, I was just thinking about this the other day, and it's, I would sort of almost take it in a different direction because I would almost sort of think, what would younger Connor tell me? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, what would that mm-hmm. sort of like that person who like, you know, had that adventure and that passion and everything else, like what would they tell me? And I think that a lot of that is around, look, you know, look at this opportunity that you have. Look at where you are right now. Look at who you're able to reach. Like, remember what that passion feels like. Remember what that excitement feels like. And so I want to sort of like remember that. I want to remember that passion. Mm. What do you remember feeling at 20 that other 20-year-olds might be thinking about? Yeah, you know, I think that um, what I would say is everybody's going to be different on this. But for me, I believe that early on in your career, go ahead and follow your passion. I mean, there's going to be enough time to start that career and make that money and everything else. And so I would say that, you know, even my younger self would say, listen, this is the moment. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the stakes are very low right now. You don't really need a lot to live on. You have four roommates anyway. Uh, You know, you don't have a mortgage yet. You don't have that much responsibility. Try out that thing that you're passionate about. And the reason is that you don't want to end up 20 years later and think like, oh, if I'd only done that. Because a lot of times what happens is you try out that passion and you realize it wasn't that great. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like if you maybe you want to sort of like work in Hollywood or maybe you want to work for you know, a nonprofit somewhere and all of these things, which by the way are all, I mean, I was a nonprofit for a long time as well. Like those are all like really worthy and everything else. But sometimes when you just hold on to a dream for so long, you think, oh, if I'd only taken a different route, try it now, just try it now, see how it fits. Cause maybe you'll end up loving it and maybe that becomes your career. Yeah. But also maybe you sort of check that box and think, you know what, I did that and it's probably not for me. Yes, and... It's also never too late. So here we are mid-season of our life and it's not too late to. So it's truly think not. About you, that. you just don't have to do what everybody else does. It's it's it just really isn't too late. A lot of the stuff that I did I did after 30. Uh yeah. so that's that's the exciting part for me. Love it. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to include your book and all your resources and information to connect with you on LinkedIn and social in the show notes. And just thank you for making a difference. Thanks, Stacey. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right.